Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Um, we're going to pick up our study today in Acts chapter number 13, verse number 27. Acts chapter 13, verse number 27. Again, what Paul is referring to is the crucifixion that had recurred, that had occurred 12 years earlier. <clears throat> and notice it says, they that dwell in their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, and they fulfilled them in condemning him. So he's saying, because they did not know who he was, Yet they were listening to the voices as they were read through the prophets in the temple and the synagogue every every Sabbath day. They turned around and fulfilled it in their ignorance. And we've talked about how important it is that 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 we understand that what they did was in ignorance. Uh, Peter addressed this in Acts chapter three. Jesus addressed this in in uh, Luke chapter twenty three. Stephen addressed this in Acts chapter number seven. It is important that we know that they did it. Had they done it knowingly, justice would have been meted out swiftly and no grace could have been extended. Uh, now, verse number 32. Well, let's read 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulcher. In other words, they unknowingly, unwittingly fulfilled all the prophecies in regards to crucifying him, but God raised him from the dead. And when he was seen, many days of them which came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are, who are his witnesses unto the people. Verse 32, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers. Notice, now we declare unto you these glad tidings. What? That promises were made to the fathers. And these promises began back in Genesis. In Genesis chapter number 12, verse number 1, Now now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make my name great, and thou shalt be a blessing." And I will bless those that bless thee, I'll curse him that curseth thee, and in thee all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here we have the promises that began to the fathers that, that Paul is referring to here. But obviously the context dictates that it is in regards specifically to the Messiah and the resurrection. You see, they had crucified him, but God raised him from the dead, and he was seen many days. Um, you know, it's just important as we, as we, I've learned this, a, te a text out of context is a pretext. We have to understand when we're reading any portion of Scripture, we got to look at the verses that come before it and the verses that come after it. If you don't do that, you're going to take the text out of context and you're going to create a pretext. And I submit to you that there is a lot of pretextual preaching going on in churches around the world. We just grab a verse, we read it out of context, and we make it say something it really does not say once you set it back into the context. Uh, in Psalm chapter 16, 
16, verse number 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. Again, these are promises that were made to the fathers. This is further proven by the next verse, because he's going to begin quoting Psalm chapter number 2. Also, it's worth pointing out here that the promises made to the fathers is a reference to the Jewish fathers in regards to salvation, restoration of the nation, all earthly, all physical, and all Israel. But it's all as a result of the, the resurrection. Notice in verse number three and 33, he says, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children. Obviously, speaking to Jews, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. Thou art my son, and this day have I begotten thee. Paul is quoting from the Psalms. In Psalm uh, verse number two, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Now, when you read that, you've got to see here, obviously, uh, you're going to see that he's talking to two different people groups. He wouldn't call the Jews heathens. They weren't the heathens. The heathens are the Gentiles. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? I think it's obvious the heathen, the Jew and the Gentile, and the kings of the earth have set themselves. The kings of the earth is obviously referring to Gentiles, and the rulers take counsel together. The rulers are obviously referring to the Jewish rulers. They're taking counsel together, and that's what happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. The Gentiles and the Jews took counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. And you'll remember that happened under Pilate. And they said, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us. So let us, Jew and Gentile, break their bands. Who's their bands? It's referring to the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and cast away their cords from us. In other words, we don't want to be restrained by them anymore. And in verse 4, he that sitteth in the heavens, referring to God the Father, will laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. What shoulda, coulda happened after the crucifixion and the resurrection is that the tribulation should have began. And that is where I really took a turn. It, it started when I began to question who is being spoken to. In the text. And we're already in chapter number 13, and we are just now beginning to see Gentiles. All throughout the first part of Acts, it is dealing with the Jew and the Jew only. It is Jews speaking to Jews about a Jewish kingdom, a Jewish Messiah, promises given to Jews. But the other thing that got me is. I'm a, I'm, I'm a student of Scripture. I mean, a student of prophecy. I love prophecy. 
the very first book I studied as a young man, young Marine, is the book of Revelation. The next book I studied as a young Marine is the book of Daniel, because Daniel is to the Old Testament as Revelation is to the New Testament. And and those books deal with the God's timeline um, and the the tribulation period, the great tribulation period. And in Daniel chapter number nine, it talks about those 70 weeks of seven. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. And when you when you break down Daniel chapter nine, four hundred and eighty-three years would be completed when the Messiah would come. And the Messiah did come 483 years after the prophecy was made by Daniel. He came through the eastern gate of Jerusalem, riding meek and lowly on the donkey. Well, there's still seven years left. And we call that the 70th week of Daniel, the last seven years of Daniel. Those seven years should have started right after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ, and the repentance of the nation of Israel. The seven years should have started. And Psalm chapter number two makes that clear. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. And then will set my king upon my holy hill of Zion." And I will declare the decree of the Lord hath said unto me, here's what Paul quoted, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I remember I was sitting at a conference, a pastor's conference with a couple of guys. And I remember I was already ruminating with this and it was in my mind. And I just asked them a question. I said, what would have happened if the nation of Israel would have repented or would have accepted Christ as their Messiah? What would have happened? Well, the first answer I got was they wouldn't have crucified him. But understand, they had to crucify him because the prophecy said they would crucify him. If they didn't crucify him, the times of restoration and regeneration, none of that could take place. It, and the, the ultimate sacrifice had to take place, not only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. So that got me to thinking, obviously, they did not have the option of accepting or rejecting him in the Gospels prior to the crucifixion. So obviously, the first legitimate offer could have only happened after the crucifixion. And if that's the case, then that would put us in the latter half of the Gospels and into the book of Acts, which led me to Pentecost. Peter, Peter's the one, he said, I will give you the keys. And whatever you bound to be bound, whatever you will loose will be loosed. And it's like a light went on. The kingdom could not have been legitimately offered until after the resurrection. And, and again, this is just a road that I ended up going down because as a student of Scripture, knowing the prophecies of Daniel, I wrote my dissertation <laughs> on, uh, on the book of Revelation 
and tied in huge amounts of the book of Daniel. And yet it just, it never dawned on me. I mean, that, you know, the plan was that the nation of Israel would repent and that the kingdom would be restored at that time. It was a legitimate offer. You remember Jesus said of John the Baptist, he could have been Elijah if you would have accepted him. In other words, if you would have believed John, the testimony of John the Baptist, but you didn't, you killed him. That's why Elijah has to come again in Revelation chapter number 11. So anyway, you just begin tying up these strings and it begins to make sense. It begins to make sense. Of course, it throws people into a tizzy because they've never heard it that way before because we have so bought into um, the birth of the church in Acts chapter number two. And we have bought into, and I bought into that, that, you know, the rejection was when they crucified Jesus. No, the rejection was when they crucified the offer. That was when they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That is when, remember Peter said, they said, what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized that you may receive the Holy Ghost. They didn't repent. They didn't get baptized. Therefore, they blasphemed the Holy Ghost. Um, and it just totally changes the way you approach the Scripture. No, it doesn't make you a heretic. It just makes you thinking outside the box, I believe, cor correctly. And it begins to take care of a lot of those questions that you've been trying to dance over for 35-plus years in ministry. And we can talk about that later. Now, notice verse number 37. And as concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said in this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to seek corruption. In other words, he's speaking of the prophesied resurrection. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption, speaking of Jesus. Christ's resurrection was the proof that he was the only begotten Son of God. The resurrection proved that he was the Son of God, and that is when the nation should have repented. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, that's speaking of Joseph and Mary, according to the flesh, and declared to be, listen to this, to declared to be the Son of God with power. How? According to the Spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection from the dead is what declared him to be the Son of God. That is when the nation of Israel should have repented. It was the power of God that raised Christ from the dead and proved that he was truly the Son of God. He was truly who he said he was. That is why the resurrection 
is at the heart of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there would be no gospel. And the and the res the we walk in that same power today. Uh, Peter, before and after, before he denied a child or denied denied Christ before a child, after he defied the Jewish leadership. The resurrection is at the heart of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. And we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we've already testified of God that he raised Christ up, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you are still in your sins. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. I will give you the sure mercies of David, in other words, I will bestow upon you the promises of David. Wherefore, he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer your holy one to see corruption. Now David, when he died, he fell asleep. He saw corruption, but he whom God raised again did not see corruption. And he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. We are taking a turn here. This is where, for the first time in the scripture, that the gospel of grace is being taught. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. God bless you guys, and uh, I appreciate you uh, letting me know you couldn't hear my audio. Um, I appreciate that, Scott. Thank you, brother. Um, you, I see there, I got into giving prophecy updates every week at church. I should have been contrasting mystery versus prophecy. Amen. That is the truth, uh, because prophecy is for the nation of Israel. Um, contrasting the mystery versus prophecy. It, it totally adjusts your filter in regards to the way you see, understand, and present the scriptures to the people. Well, God bless you guys. Tomorrow we'll pick up, I look at verses 38 and 39. Here we have the gospel for the very first time, the gospel of grace presented. It speaks about the forgiveness of sins, justification, not by the law of Moses anymore. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Remember, God loves you, wants the best for you. Working all things out for your good.